Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. So my name's Michael Johnson. Uh, position was a centre-back or left-back defender. And the teams that I played for was Notts County, Birmingham City, Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, and then ended my career back at Notts County. So, Michael, you had a long career playing for four different sides in the Championship. Obviously, started your career at Notts County and made your debut in 1991. As a Nottingham lad, what was it like playing for the biggest club in Nottingham? Um, I'm glad you said biggest club in Nottingham. <laughs> um, it was great. I mean, you know, to be given the opportunity to be a professional, but at your hometown club was special. Um, you know, I, I I obviously knew a lot about Forest and, and Notts County um, and obviously heard about the stories of Notts County being a bigger club um, in the early 19th centuries coming up into the 50s, 60s and then Forest took over in the era of Brian Clough. So to pull on the Magpie shirt was was of great pride and great joy representing my hometown city and then to go on and make my debut underneath Neil Warnock was even better. You came through in the, the first division as well before it was rebranded the Premier League, which, I mean, being being quite uh, ignorant to lower league football, being where Notts County are now, you would never have realised that they played in, you know, it, in the Premier League, essentially. Yeah, Notts County played in the Premier League, the first division. Um, history goes right back and saying it's Notts County was one of the biggest clubs in the league system. You know, they'd played against Juventus. Um, they they was the first they were the founding members of the football football league the first uh, professionalized club um, in 1862. So Notts County has a lot of history that many people probably wouldn't know enough about. And you're right in 1991 before the Premier League was formed, it was the first division, second division, third division, and fourth division of which Notts County were at the top of that top of the trade, playing in the top flight of English football. And it was great for me to make my debut in that Premier League, um, being the first division. What was it like as a youngster coming through? Because I imagine just how diff- I mean the strikers back then as well. We had the like the the, the more elbows and more aggressive yeah. and more physical. So what was that like coming through as a as a young player then? Um, it's completely different now, and I'm not sure the now is better in terms of um, in terms of that footballing education. Um, so you're right, you know, the the jobs that we were expected to do, scholars no longer do. But that formulated a large part of your discipline when you started playing football. Um, so I'll give you a prime example. Um, as scholars 16 to 18, you were expected to, to have your football education in the morning, um, some gym work maybe in the afternoon, and then you would complete your jobs before you, go, you would go home. So my job was the... Um, away dressing room so it was my job to make sure that the away dressing room was clean was tidy you had to stand by your job before being dismissed um, and if your job wasn't done then all the all, all the players the youth players would have to wait until the manager would knock you off but what that gave you was a certain amount of discipline so that when you went into the field you would do your job at a certain level because you knew the standards of what the football club expected and Obviously, so we don't have that kind of footballing education for young players at this moment in time. It's quite it's quite interesting you, you say that. Obviously, you spoke about coaching with the England under twenty ones, and you've you've had previous experience for Notts County coaching um, the youth team there, and obviously at Cardiff as well. Does that does having that those sort of roles, you know, cleaning out the away dressing room? You mentioned it; it, it gives you a discipline. 
I mean, how, firstly, how come we've, we've gone away from that? And secondly, would that benefit youth team players coming through now? Yeah, I mean, my, my, you know, that was my role. There was the laundry, there was the referee's room, there was the um, kit, there was boots. So there's loads of roles that we would attribute to, to scholars or was attributed to scholars. But not only did it give you discipline, it gave you standards at what that club expected the standards to be before we were all dismissed. And in a team environment, there's obviously, you know, 16, 18 odd players what make up a squad. Now, when you're doing your jobs, nobody can go on because we're a team. So the fact that we didn't want to disappoint, it created standards in our job. So I would make sure, because I didn't want to let you down and we all wanted to go home at a certain time, I would make sure my job was at a standard because then when the manager came round, everybody obviously was rewarded by, okay, off we all go. The minute that my job wasn't done because the standards had dropped, obviously then I felt the disappointment of the whole dressing room environment. And that's a team environment. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's creating a certain culture and you know, starting to make sure that the standards of what is expected at a football club, we all recognise. So then when we go out in the field of play and the manager talks about levels and standards, we all are going to make sure we do the standards to the best of your ability. So if a person does a 40-yard run from one box to the, the other, the standard is if I'm playing against that person, mm. I'm expected to stay with that 40-yard run. And so it starts to develop a real high-performing culture based on the jobs that you're doing. And it's more than just a job. But as you get older, more experience, you start to understand the standards that we are trying to create for our young players that will hopefully develop into them when you go into the first team. Yeah, it's, it's, it's so interesting because obviously... The, the, the perception now is young players are, um, are sort of mollycoddled to a sense. They get everything for them. Is that necessarily better for their development. And that's why I said right at the very beginning, I'm not sure whether it's better or actually are we developing a, um, what's the correct word for this? I think somebody called it a um, Cocoa Pops um, <laughs> society. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's not to discount that we've got some fantastic young players now. What I would say is that you, you not only will you get the fantastic young players, but you also add there's certain characteristics to mm. that young player that will give the young player the traits to go right through their football career with some high values. So talking about high values, you mentioned you played under Neil Warnock while you're at Notts County. I, again, what, what was he like as a manager all the way back then? And you know how different would he be? Would he have to be now? Yeah, he would have completely changed. And I know he's changed um, through my conversations. Mm. I've had with him over the years. Um, back then, you know, you're talking a young man in his you know, mid-30s, you know, who, who had a successful period at Scarborough in the non-league, Knox County took him, and it was a revelation. Um, the way that he managed was for a lot more dictatorial. Mm -hmm. I don't mind saying that. You know, he, 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 he commanded respect um, because the successes that he had, um, and for me, it was brilliant. I mean, I'd, at that particular point in my life, I didn't really want to be modicled, modicled or mm -hmm. I, I needed a firm, um, a firm rod, if you wanted to say. I needed somebody to come in and just say, this is what I want. Yeah. If you don't do it, and that's the way that Neil handled me. You know, he told me if it wasn't good enough. He praised me if it was good enough. Um, you know, and... and, and just and this is crazy, right? I remember um, the assistant manager called Mick Jones, and you wouldn't you wouldn't get this now. He was going away in the summer, and I was seventeen years old. And he said to me, "You know, there's forty pounds if you if you um, come over to my house in a place called Haven. It was cut my back garden while I'm away, lock the door, and just drop the key back through." Now. Back then, I was only £29.50 a week as a scholar. So £40 was like, wow, you know, you doubled, you, you doubled your wages, so of course you're going to go. But it wasn't about the cutting of the grass. What he wanted to find out was, did I have the drive? 
was I actually committed to doing something that's going to double my wages? Yes. And when I get there, what was the standard of the grass that I cut? And all these things that they did to work out the character of a certain player before actually putting me in the first team. So I went up, cut the grass, did what I needed to do, came back, you know, four or five weeks later, he gave him a 40 pounds and he said, you don't understand. It wasn't about cutting your grass. I just wanted to find out a bit more about you. And it's those little managerial things that I'm not so sure um, managers do um, anymore, but it, it just gives you an insight into the depth of what certain managers will do to find out about you as a character, as a person. I guess for, for for managers like Neil Warnock, who almost come from a different era, but have gone with the gone through the years of football, finding getting to the bottom of individuals' characters that's what they that's why that's what makes their team so good is because they have the right characters. And obviously, as you mentioned, totally. you have those you have those tests. Totally agree. If you look at Neil's teams, and even now, you know, I look at the Cardiff team. You know, Neil Warnock, and let's let's remember this, Neil Warnock is the most decorated manager in terms of promotions from the Championship to the Premier League. Yeah. Yes, the Premier League, you need a little bit more talent, as we found out with a Derby team, which I'm <laughs> sure we'll move on to. Yeah. But in actual fact of getting there, well, if you want to know how to get there, then surely you've got to look at what Neil Warnock stands for and what he's been doing over the last... 20, 30 odd years that have enabled him to be the most successful manager in getting the um, teams promoted from the Championship to the Premier League. As you go back to, to Notts County, you went back there at the end of your career where you actually managed to score your first goals for them in your second spell. Yeah, yeah it was amazing. Yeah, I was going to say, how did, how did that feel? Because almost 20 years after your debut for them, you finally get your first first couple of goals for them. Yeah, it was an amazing experience. Um I was gutted in my first spell there um, that I didn't score. And there was reasons why I didn't score. Um, I was really quick. So mm. whenever there was set plays and um, corners, as a defender, obviously, I'm very unlikely to find myself up there, especially in those days. You go forward and you get barked back, get back on the halfway line. Um, but when the set plays came, I was always the last person. Um, so I, I was always stood on the halfway line while corners were being taken, free kicks were being taken. So it was very rare for me to find myself in that final third. Obviously, at the end of um, summer 95, you left Notts County, signed for Birmingham City under another big character in football, Barry Fry. Yeah. They, they had just come up to the first division, which obviously we're now talking about the championship level. Did you expect to stay at Birmingham City for for as long as you did? You know, you made over two hundred and fifty appearances for one club, which is is quite a remarkable feat. Yeah, I mean, no, I didn't. I'll be honest with you, I didn't expect to stay there as long as I did. It was eight nine years in total. Mm. Um, I think in the end, it was over three hundred appearances. Um, it's nice to be in their Hall of Fame uh, for <laughs> appearances. Um, I had a chance to, to go to West Ham in that period as well, which I, I didn't turn down. I'm a Midlands boy and London didn't really appeal to me. Um, so I ended up staying there. But there was, there was, you know, major reasons why I stayed at Birmingham because I, I loved the club. You know, I thought it was a fantastic club for my development. Barry Fry was the perfect kind of manager again. That kind of similarity between um, Neil Warnock and then Barry Fry was was evident and we had some successful years there. Talking about the success, by the end of the 97-98 season, it was probably at that time where um, Blues actually started to establish themselves in the championship uh, and they were actually level on points with Sheffield United that season, but just missed out on playoffs, on, on goals scored. It wasn't goal difference either. I, I was sort of working this out. It was on goals scored, which was obviously different. How how disappointing was that and how, how do you recover from that sort of setback? It was gruelling um, to miss out on... You, know, you you work all that way for the year, you know, for rain, snow, sleet, sun, everything, um, going up and down the country, then to finally get there and, and think you've made it, but to be missed out on goals scored, it was tough. And, and it made it even worse when you look at the history of my time at Birmingham. I think we, we had something like four playoffs and the first three were failed in. So when you add that season to it, 
it was just like, this is never going to happen. And so we always seem to um, tie up towards the end of the season based on the, our previous experiences and what you've mentioned being one of them. And talking about the the, the playoff campaigns, you mentioned that the next three seasons ended up in, in playoff defeat, which... Yeah, we're talking about well, we're talking about Derby County and Birmingham City, the two of the teams you played for, have absolutely cruel luck with with playoffs. Did it help not losing a final? Um, you know, you got to the playoff semi-finals, lost those, but does it is it worse losing a final? Obviously, everybody says losing at Wembley is the the worst feeling ever. So, did it, did it almost help losing the semi-final? You could go again next season with a sort of a fresh, no. fresh, fresh slate. No, because your season was extended. So your season gets extended. Obviously, there's two games, um, and and obviously it's a it's like a FA little mini FA Cup. It's a knockout, and you fancy yourself every year, and you know it, it just seemed that every year we were just knocking on the door, but just wasn't going to get there, and it never felt easy. I remember one year I, I had to clear off to the Lake District just to not just to get away from everything. Um, literally the day after, I think it was the Preston defeat. I just went away, um, you know, booked a chalet for me and my dog, and that was it. And just wanted to get away from everything mm. because I was fed up of just being the nearly man uh, or the nearly team. Um, and obviously, it was Preston, there was Watford, there was the Barnsley game. It just kept going on until obviously the Norwich game, we, we managed to do it. Mm. And obviously, talking about. Um losing in, in, in the playoffs. Yeah, it happened again in the 2000, uh, 2001 season, but he actually got to a League Cup final in that season as well, which again, considering, go, go, going back to how cup competitions were valued, getting to a, a League Cup final now is probably not as viewed in the same sense as it was way back then. Actually, talk us through that because you played 120 minutes in the final against a very good Liverpool side. Did you expect to be so close to them? Yeah, we had really good a really good team. Um, I think the dynamics of our team were, were different to Liverpool's, and at that time, obviously Liverpool. I think that was a season that they 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 did really well. I think they won a couple of um, cup competitions. Um, obviously, the League Cup being one. Um, but we were a tough team. We were a team that were um, been together for a number of years. Um, very very. Um, what would be the word I'd say? A strong team of individuals mm. who come together as a collective. We weren't technically great, but we would run, we would close people down, we would tackle, and we were committed. And we knew that if we, if everybody was on an eight at nine out of ten day, which we were, then we would give Liverpool a tough time. We didn't. We weren't going to say we were going to beat them, but we knew that you know we'd give them a game. And that proved to be the case. We gave them a game and took it to penalties. And actually, you know, there was a moment in that game where um, at the, form, the former Blues Everton defender, Crystal Palace defender, Anthony Andrew Johnson, was nowadays it would have been a nailed on penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the penalty was turned down and we end up going to penalties itself. Um, and then we lose. And it's, it was a crushing a crushing defeat for me because I knew that was probably um, you win that you qualify for Europa. Yeah. So the chance to play in a Euro- European league um, and I did it with not counting the Anglo-Italian Cup <laughs> um, but obviously the Europa League is something special and um, I kind of thought to myself that's probably my, my biggest chance of playing in the European you know, UEFA League. So it was actually the the o one o two season that that, that culminated um, in the promotion via the playoffs. Did it help almost you know losing the the league cup final? Did that give you yeah. you know a, a bit of, a bit of extra edge, a bit of extra encouragement that you can do that? You can go on to win in class. Absolutely, the way that we played against Liverpool, um, and obviously the 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 euphoria of the fans, we wanted more, and we knew that if we could c- continue what we delivered at Liverpool into the league. There's not many teams that are going to live with us. Um, and I said, it, you know, it wasn't because we were technically cutting, cutting teams, um, cutting through teams. It was, we had a real inner steel, a real inner belief committed fit. We, we were just 
you know, having it, we were just ready for it. Being a playoff veteran yourself, you've had a fair <laughs> few playoff campaigns. What what is the preparation like? You know, how different is it? Firstly, preparing for a semi final compared to the league, and then preparing for a final because there's a long period of time between the, the end of the second leg and the semi final to the final. Almost, it almost feels too long. You almost feel like you lose a bit of momentum. So, how different is the preparation for them? It's different because obviously there's a lot riding on this period. Um, a lot more is about recovery because you've just gone through a four to six game season. So there's no way you can train the way that you trained, you know, during the season. It's about recovery, making sure that your body is the best that it can be um, going into the into the games. And I think the biggest thing is the emotion of the game because the fans, the city, every, everybody's riding high. Everybody thinks that their team's going to win it. And you've got to try and distance yourself from this and make sure that you're cool, you're collected going into the final. Because if you go in with the wave of, um, you know, emotions of the fans, the likelihood is that you'll do something silly in the first mm -hmm. 15, 20 minutes, you're down to 10 men and your team won't recover. You get knocked out and you're left reflecting over the summer about, you know, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have done that. So it's more about controlling emotions and making sure that physically you're in the best condition that you can be going into the game. And, and everybody's needs are different. Some might need topping up, some might need bringing down, mm -hmm. you know, whatever you need, um, you know your body best. That's the main thing to make sure you're going in there in the right frame of mind. Obviously, we'll drop back into the playoffs with, with Derby because I had a couple of interesting campaigns. But going to your final season with Birmingham City, it was quite a, a topsy-turvy season for, for Birmingham City in the Premier League. It was the season that well-fabled Christophe Dugarry came in and almost yeah. kept you up single-handedly. Um, but on a personal level, you only played six games. How, how frustrating was it for you not to, not to get the opportunity to play more? Really frustrating. And, and it's tough when you're at a club for nine years mm -hmm. and you work so hard to get the club to where it gets to. And then when they get there with the, the finances that the game gives because of promotion, they then go out and buy players um, that they believe are the right players to buy. So I knew that I was up against it. Um, you know, ironically, you not know, speaking to Steve Bruce since that, one of the regrets he has or had was about breaking that team up too soon. As I said to you, that team was a real tough, mm -hmm. steely team. And sometimes when you get promoted, I think managers go quickly too far the other way. So they feel like they need to make sure now they've got players that can play through the thirds, receive on the back foot, you know, do all these nice things that make people stand up and, and applaud and whatever whatever it needs to be. But I think Steve, in one of his, his, his comments, he thought he moved through that process too quickly and so diluted what was a really good team. He understood Birmingham City mm -hmm. um, for a more attractive team and it didn't quite work out. And, you know, I was one of many that was forced to leave and it was tough. You know, I'd been there for nine years um, and I had a chance to go to Reading, um, Derby, West Ham again, um, being a, a Midlands boy, Nottingham born and bred, which probably <laughs> is, is an interesting one in itself. Um, when Derby came knocking, you know, and I went to go and see the, the training ground and everything else underneath George Burley, then I, and I accepted deal. actually ties nicely in with the, the next question because obviously as you mentioned the following season you signed for Derby what was it exactly that brought you to Derby you mentioned you, know, you had a chat you had a chance to talk to George Burley you went around um, the facilities you know you, you were an experienced player having played consistently in a top six team in the first first division and at that point Derby were probably well known to have some off-field problems I think the season before yeah. players were deferring wages how 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 did how was the club sold to you? Obviously, being a Midlands base is is a big help, but from the outside in, it looked like a bit of a basket case at that time. Yeah, it it, it was a nightmare. Um, but George was very very good in terms of talking about football rather than off the field activities. He said you'd be captain. You know, you and um, Ian Taylor would battle it out for the captaincy. Um, you know, you'd be a pivotal part of this team. We've got a lot of young players at the time. There was a young Tom Alderston coming through. Lee Holmes was coming through. 
Um, so there was Aizen McLeod as well as Pablo Mills. So there was a lot of young players in and around um, the team and they'd lost the way. And he just said, I need experience. And I think with your experiences of the championship, um, I think you would be really pivotal in, in enabling us to stay up. We just want to stay up. And that's how they sold it to me. And then he took me around the training ground and obviously the training ground was spectacular. Pride Park was spectacular. And it just seemed the right move back home in the Midlands, um, stones throw away from, from my family. Um, and I agreed to it. When you came in, you actually picked up the number 10 shirt as well, which is, <laughs> which is something that has genuinely played on my mind since you, since you came in. Yeah. W- w- I mean, what's their dreams of being a nomadic number 10 when you're you, younger, you know, what's, what's the thinking behind it? Well, it, 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 honestly, it was one of those where they wanted to give me the number 10 shirt. So <laughs> really? I didn't ask for it. It, it. it literally was there hung up. And obviously it was, for me, it was great to wear the number 10. <laughs> um, I say to my lads, you know, do you know your dad's been a number 10? And it was like, no. I'm like, yep, I'll show you footage. And it's great. Um, you know, it was just a number at the time. Obviously, as the years move forward, you know, everybody sees 10 as the best player. So maybe it was them trying to, you know, give me a little pat on the back when I came in and saying, here you go. Was there a bit of banter in the training round? Because I know, because oh, yeah. I'm a defender as well, and I get vilified if I go near it. Yeah, everybody was giving me banter. Everybody <laughs> was giving me banter about being a number 10 as a defender. Um, but yeah, I wore it well. <laughs> I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either, they've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to classicfootballshirts.co.uk right now. And going into your first season, it was a season that almost ended up in, in relegation. I think it you know, it got to the second to last game against Millwall, I think. Just how important were the signings of I think Leon Osmond came in on loan. Um, the big number nine, Manel as well. Paul Pesky Salida, they all came in. How important were they halfway through the season? A major importance because it gave us a lift. You know, you talk about Manel, you talk about Pesh, you know, a, an absolute proven goal scorer at all levels. And Leon Osmond, it was a revelation. You know, I think, you know, well, I don't think I know. After speaking to Leon last week, last year, he came in to do some work on Rams TV when Wayne Rooney signed. And his first comments to me was, you know, this club set, you know, turned my career around because he had a great season here. Um, and then, you know, Everton were about to discard him. And then when he went back, things started to pick up for him at Everton and he went on to have a wonderful career at Everton. So, you know, those players were a pivotal, you know, part as to why Derby County stayed up that year. And obviously, the, the following season there was there was much much more joy, uh, I should say, as the likes of uh, Idiarquez, Gregor Raziak, Tommy Smith, they came in, and it almost transformed the club. You go from I, I always think if you go from a relegation candidate to a playoff candidate in just under a season, it's it's such a turnaround. But obviously, those players were well, they were good. But how good were were they, and how much of an impact oh. did they actually have? Well, I think the the you know you you only have to look at you know, the moves for particularly Gregors and Anigo that they went to go to the Premier League after the season there, that, that season. I think it was Southampton that signed the pair. I think Tottenham as well, actually, Gregors had a little mm. visit through, if my mind. Yeah, he um, did. He's, yeah. And, and Tommy Smith was, you know, at that period, probably one of the hottest strikers around in the championship. You know, he was a threat. He was good. You know, when he was going at players, could score goals. And I think this is the most important thing for me is the character of the players. They were great men. They were great people to be around. And so it created a real strong culture again at the training ground. 
and we started to, as you said, look a lot stronger than we did the season before. So you mentioned that you played with Tom Huddleston, who was actually centre-back alongside you. And he was voted into the PFA Team of the Year, which is quite staggering considering, considering he was only 16, 17 years old at the time, which I don't think, I, I want to say it's not happened since. It's very rare to get a, a, a player of that talent. But was I'd say that, was it down to you and your experience having him, having you alongside him that got him there? Of course. <laughs> no, I mean, Tom... Tom, on his own rights, was um, a fantastic young talent coming through. We all knew that he was going to be something special. You know, six foot three, four, um, ability to play off both feet and had a tremendous range of passing. And so we all knew. I think what I did very early on was look after Tom with my experiences. So a prime example would be if there was a, a, a six foot two guy giving Tom a rough time as a 16, 17 year old. I would say to Tom, he'd be playing on the right side, right hand side of me, come over here for five minutes, let me deal with him. And so it allowed him to get on the ball a little bit more while I actually dealt with the aggressor. Mm. Um, and if somebody was, you know, if, if somebody had, you know, left something on Tom or a little bit naughty with Tom, then your experiences again would say, let me look after five minutes, Tom, and I would probably end up getting a yellow card by <laughs> trying to hit the guy, tell him to pipe down and allow Tom to, to play a little bit more. So those are the kind of little things with your experiences that you try and help, particularly the younger ones with when they're coming through. And, and, and so that's how it worked, but he was a tremendous player. And obviously that season he was sold. It was, it was quite well known, you know, of, Pretty much the rug was pulled from under Burley's, George Burley's feet and he, he, he left under a cloud that summer and, and, and Phil Brown actually came in. What were the players thinking when, when George Burley left? Because from a fan's perspective, it really was devastating. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of noise when he left. Um, I think we were all devastated because his training sessions were really, really good. You know, he's probably one of the best managers that I'd worked with in, in terms of his training sessions were always bright, loved passing drills. They were always different. Um, yeah, and then he got a little bit of a rough time when you know when he left. Um, so we were kind of a little bit disappointed. But as you know, we as you see, you know, the show's got to go on. He's got mm-hmm. to got to keep going on. You've got to keep putting on the performances. And then obviously Phil Brown then enters the building. It didn't quite work out under under Phil Brown. There was signs of promise quite early on in the season, but then obviously same thing happened with Huddleston. Raziak was sold to to Spurs as as, as you mentioned earlier. Um, and actually, there's been a couple of former players, Paul Pesky Salido, and others have, have been quite outspoken about him. Just why didn't it work out for Brown? Was it a bit of a, a culture shift from George Burley, obviously being you know being a footballing side going to Phil Brown? Just how much of a difference was it? And yeah. Just, Pretty much why it didn't work out. I think it was different. I think when you when you apply, when you inherit a squad and a team, you know you're inheriting a passing team underneath George Burley. Um, as I said to you, his training sessions were completely, you know, around passing, your first touch, um, trying to you know play through teams, and then you get a young Phil Brown come through the door. He's predominantly worked underneath Sam Allardyce. So it's a lot different, you know, you got to get up to the ball. Mm-hmm. It was probably a lot, lot more like the first part of my career when I mentioned about um, um, Neil Warnock and even Barry Fry. And I was fine with that, but other players might struggle to adapt. So, you know, it's different for an, e- an ego Idiarches who wants to get on the ball and play, you know, which underneath Phil Brown is something that he's strong with. Sorry, underneath George Burley. That's his. You're trying to tell the same player to to go and you know squeeze and hook it on, and I think that's where the difference was with Phil Brown. And you know, I don't think he's a bad man. He's not a bad manager. It just the squad he inherited was completely different to where he came from, and I think that was probably one of the main reasons why it didn't quite work. I mean, we talk about our Phil problems as well because I, I do have a lot of sympathy for, for for Phil Brown that season. I mean, just just reading off the strikers we had come in: Stern, John, Elham, Dewey, Danny Graham. It's 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 almost impossible to work with because you just got such a high turnover of number nines. It's it's 
you know, was say, yeah, it's, you're not doomed from the start, but it's it's going to be it's going to be hard. It was difficult, and you, you and also added to that, I think that was at the time when, you know, we had all the off-field activities in terms of board member squabbles, board members, you know, having court cases, and so it was a difficult time um, for Phil to actually walk into the club and try and you know, get some momentum with the squad of players. Um, yeah, you know, there's lots of lots of pieces as to why it didn't quite work. And obviously, the following season, again, that, that you know, the season under Phil Brown, he left in sort of midway through the season. Terry Wesley came in, kept the club in the division. The following season, the club was finally sold. It felt like yeah. all the issues were gone. Again, as players, do you breathe a sigh of relief when that happens? Yeah, because we all yearn for stability and we all yearn for direction. And unfortunately, you know, during that period, not only managers didn't didn't know whether they're coming and going, players don't, you know, you're out of contract. Well, who's going to deal with your contracts? You know, and, and that in itself brings a lack of stability. You don't want to get injured then because if you're out of contract and you get injured, then it... So all these questions are asking whilst the ownership of the football club has been debated and so it has to be cemented by someone and um, yeah it, again as I said before it was a real difficult time not only for Phil but the players as well so, so going into the next season Billy Davis came in it felt like a lot was changing you know Idiarquez was sold Tommy Smith was sold and he was bringing in his own players what was it like working under him and again did you hope to play more games for the for the club that season I enjoyed working underneath Billy and um, I think you, you, when you go through your career, you go through you go through a spell where you realise you're not going to play as much. Mm-hmm. So when you start coming to the end, your body just can't do it. And my body was, you know, if anybody saw the way I played, I was 100%. I couldn't play at 25%. You know, I was throwing myself at blocks, tackles, headers, whatever it may be. So the latter part of my career, I think all that started to catch up. So I knew um, that I wasn't going to play as much. But what Billy did for me, which I thought was really clever, was give me a lot of um, off-the-field responsibilities to make sure the change room was in a certain way, to make sure the culture of the change rooms, the discipline within that change rooms, and to be a real leader you know, put in a leadership team of me, Darren Moore, Matty Oakley, um, to make sure that we govern that environment. And we, we were talking about Birmingham City, about how their squad was set up and how the team was set up. You know, there was no sort of outstanding individuals in terms of skill. It was all down to sort of hard work, discipline. And the Derby team echoed that a little bit. Obviously, there was the the mercurial talent of Giles Barnes and, and you know, a couple of others, but the team sort of mirrored that. How 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 similar were those those two sides? Yeah, really, really similar. And you've hit the nail on the head. And, you know, it's pretty interesting that both teams um, who had those sort of traits at Birmingham and then at Derby both got promoted. Um, and I just see, when I look through that team, you know, you look at that, that season, we won so many games 1-0. You don't win that many games 1-0 if you don't have a team who's got some real character. If you look at the game against West Brom, we always knew if we went one game, one goal up, that was it. Because we knew that you could rely on the individuals. So this goes right back to the very first part when we talk about your apprenticeship, your scholarship. Because your standards have been set you know that you can rely on this individual that when the manager comes around, your job's done because you know the standard. And that's where Billy got this team too. That we knew that if we went 1-0 up, it was good night. And you could press and push. And West Brom did that in the final. They were the better team. Um, But we had enough resilience about us to get through it and make sure we got promoted. Obviously winning the final... It was the second time in your career. How how do they match up in terms of obviously you weren't involved, but how do they match up? Obviously, your your involvement in the team at Derby was completely different to what it was at Birmingham City. 
yeah, I think um, the, towards the Birmingham, the Derby one, I got injured towards the last part of the season. Hence why my involvement was was lesser. Um, I think both both I hold in high regard. I think because the both the both shadow like the my my life and my career. So mm. the first one was really young. I was you know the second one. I'm coming down off my career. There's not I'm not playing as much, and that was reflected that I didn't actually play. But actually, I had a pivotal part within in that role. But I hold both both in high in high regards. You know, they are, you know when you when you're a youngster and you watch the FA Cup games, and you're right when you said that the cup games the cup now doesn't hold as much value as it did back in the nineties. Um, you can see that with the way that teams put out their teams for the FA Cup. The FA Cup used to be a big thing for me as a kid. And when you watch play, when you watch the players climb the stairs and lift the trophy, then fast forward yourself as captain at Derby, Birmingham City, and you're climbing them steps and lifting the trophy. There's nothing better. And and so for me, both I hold in high regard for different reasons. I imagine it's much. It's, it's kind of strange. I imagine it's much easier playing in the final than it is watching it. Absolutely, because and and ironically enough. I was injured for the Derby, the Derby final, and I actually needed treatment after it because mm. the amount of kicks, heading, whatever you're doing, it's like you're not out in the field, so you you feel like you're out of control of it. Yeah. So, so actually, the, ang- the anxiety hits you even more. You're shouting more. You're involved in the game more because you're not on the field. To have that element of control, and so the actual derby game itself, I remember when the game had finished, I I I, I mentally and emotionally was drained because I'd already played the ninety minutes mm. in my in my mind, even though I'd sat on the backside for ninety minutes. So essentially, you're saying you needed the same amount of recovery as the players who played the the full ninety. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so obviously the, the elephant in the room is is that season in the Premier League for Derby. Um, I mean, as a supporter, I was quite young, so I don't think it affected me as much as it would if I was my age now. Um, but as a player, what what is it like? I mean, firstly, the, the preparation, we know there was a lot of, again, sort of not off-field trouble, but there was a lot of disagreements at board level. And I think that perhaps unsettled the side. But as a player, when players aren't coming in that you know are going to have an impact what is that like it's disappointing i mean we in any in in any walk of life in sport you get off to a good start you've got a good chance you know we never got off to a good start in terms of you know the very next day we obviously seen the newspaper reports that there's issues between our manager and the board which then if there's issues between the manager and the board the level of support the club needed between the manager and the board in terms of signing players, releasing the funds was not there. We knew, a bit like Birmingham, when I was at Birmingham, it's going to be a tough first season. You know, it was about survival. And we knew that we needed probably another three or four players with Premier League experience to try and get us through that first season, of which we didn't. So we don't get off to a very good start. Um, squabbling starts to happen even further. Confidence then starts to erode out the, the players. And before you know it, you're at a club that is just lack of confidence, lack of trust in the board, uncertainty around the manager. Players probably ain't good enough at that seat, at that level to go and you know, make sure we maintain our status. And we're in a difficult position. So it's just a perfect mix of underachievement, essentially. Yeah, it's just all the recipes that you would say, you know, an underachieving team would need were in that first season. It was an absolute nightmare. You did get a bit of respite from that season, getting or gaining court hero status at Sheffield Wednesday, which is something that has intrigued me quite a lot. Obviously, you only had a short loan spell there. 
Why did Sheffield Wednesday fans become so fond of you? It was brilliant. I mean, I went to Sheffield Wednesday. It was my first loan. I was 35, 34, 35. Um, that point, Sheffield Wednesday had no points on the board. Um, and I go in there and um, myself and a lad called Graham Cavanaugh, we had a really successful time. I always remember the January transfer when it happened and Derby County played Sheffield Wednesday in a cup game. And I remember the Sheffield Wednesday fans knew I was coming. They were chanting, but the Derby County fans were chanting because I was playing at Derby. But the next day I went to Sheffield and we had a really good second half of the season. And we ended up staying staying up at Sheffield Wednesday. And it was a great period, a great successful second half of the season that enabled us to get you know, enough points for, to secure Sheffield Wednesday status as a, as a um, championship club. Was there an opportunity to go to Sheffield Wednesday permanently? So you went to Notts County to sort of finish your career, but was there ever a sort of a an eye to go there permanently? No, and this is one of my disappointments at the end where there was a young player coming through who was still playing now, um, Mark Beavers, really good player. And um, Brian Laws turned around to him at the end of the season and, you know, fought his football, just said, you know, the opportunity is not there. Um, obviously, you're at an age which is going to be difficult you know, I was 34, 35 now. Um, and we've got a young player coming through and we're going to go with him for next season. So unfortunately, there's not another contract there. It did open the door for you from a coaching perspective. Obviously, you went into Notts County, finished your career and then you took over the, the youth team as manager and had a, had a short spell as caretaker manager. It was at a, quite a strange time for Notts County because if I'm right, it was when the Sven-Goran Eriksson saga Yeah came in quite strange finance. what are your thoughts on that overall thoughts on that because again from the outside in it's it's just it's very it's just strange yeah it was a strange period obviously for a league two stroke one club at the time to have Sven Goran Eriksson um, as your technical director director of football then you've got um, Sol Campbell as you know your England centre back league one league two you've got Casper Michael um who's now obviously at Leicester. Um, so it was weird. You know, you don't quite get that at, you know, Knox County in a League One, League Two mm. um, campaign. It was great to be around because there was so much media attention. Um, but it was surreal. Did the alarm bells ever go off for you? Like, do you ever think, this, this isn't, I don't know. I remember when I went down to the reception area and the milkman was um, very irate. <laughs> and he was saying... Um, that we we'd not paid the milk bill for like the last three months, and it started to dawn on me that that can't be right. You know, there's there's late, but then there's three months late. And at the time, I'd obviously started to hear noises around the fact that you know they don't think that um, they don't think uh, wages are going to be paid on time, and so it started to dawn on me that maybe all what's happening at the club. Is not legit. It did it did as I say it did set you up because obviously there was that experience as a youth team manager. You had a short spell at Cardiff before coming becoming manager of, of, of Guyana. Again, it's a, it's a small Caribbean island. That opportunity, it, it, I imagine, it's quite quite big for you. How important was it for you to get that role as a manager, having only had you know a short time as caretaker at Notts County? Yeah, that was the major, major point for me, which was to get a managerial role. Um, to get it for a country was beyond my wildest dreams. Um, but to get it um, for Guyana, to go to the Gold Cup with Guyana, which is something that they'd never achieved, they'd never been to a major tournament, and to do it inside 18 months was special. And that was probably the most you know rewarding thing for me in my career in being able to to achieve something like that on behalf of a country. What what sort of challenges did you face as, as head coach of Guyana? Because I imagine as a as an organisation, there's still a lot of sort of things that need to happen in terms of getting them to the to the Gold Cup essentially. Um I think for me the cultural aspect, you know, never been to Guyana in my life. So to go there and um start to understand the ecosystem of football. There's no football leagues. It's a cricketing nation. So then the standard of the facilities and the resources isn't great. 
And I think those were the challenges. Also, the players, because it predominantly had not been number one on the sporting calendar of, of the government. You know, players then thought, well, what's the point in me going over there and travelling halfway around the world? So it was it was the whole piece about getting players back, excited to play for Ghana. We're going to do it professionally. We're going to raise the standards. I'm always talking about standards. And 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 slowly and surely we started to do it to the to the point where you know we had a really good team that we we knew could cause problems in the Concacaf qualifying stages, and it was great that when we achieved it, the whole nation you know had a had a party that evening that night. <laughs> Obviously, that led you to becoming a coach with the England under twenty ones. How are you finding that? It's great. It's great to be with the twenty ones. You know, you're working with some of the best young players. You know, in the world, you know, it, it's you know, it's wonderful. You know, we we we're on the verge now of going to the Euro Under Twenty Ones tournament, and it's going to be wonderful again to see some of the best talent around the the world performing on a a real, you know, top stage. So, for me, it's been a revelation. It's been really good to be working in at the FA, see all the planning, what goes into a two year cycle for a tournament. And so I'm excited about, obviously, the next few weeks, straight months. Michael, I want to say a massive thanks for your time today. It's been it's been great listening back to some of your stories. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time. No problems. Thanks a lot. Enjoyed it. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns